Welcome to We're Getting a Dog. What is happening, everyone? The only podcast about dogs we're definitely going to get. We've definitely contradicted that, <laughs> like, in many episodes, even in this season. Now nah, we're getting them. Okay. Give, it, give us enough time. We'll, we'll, we'll have a second episode after we've owned each one. Oh, God. That's, <laughs> we're going to go into the afterlife doing that. <laughs> so how have you been? Oh, fine. You know, just uh, recording coffees on and oh, yeah. getting that show ready to go. How's that and going? Good. It's going really good. It's a lot of fun. Nice. Um, it's definitely uh, a kind of a research, uh, not challenge. Well, I say, okay, it is a challenge, but like in a good way. I like a research challenge. Yeah, I don't. You got to grind the coffee. That's challenging. <laughs> Beyond just that, it's kind of crazy how, you know, you'd think of such a, a topic where, I don't know, I guess... I've never really considered coffee in depth until now and to just have to read about it, see just kind of the story behind it. It is rather dramatic in type in times and, you know, fascinating. And it's kind of opened up an interest I I've always had in reading about the Ottoman Empire, but yeah. that's kind of going to, I think, going to be my new nonfiction kick is reading about that because of the coffee show right yeah because that's kind of just geographically where everything takes place yeah coffee does hold a weirdly unique place in our culture just such a universal drink that never wakes up with it's kind of a weirdly strong drug same time well yeah and not only that but it you know there's just the uh i i like the cultural side of it i think richard likes more what you're talking about which is sort of the people's story which I guess is culture, but for me, I like like historical culture, not like today's culture as much of our own coffee. Okay, I think today it's just littered with Dunkin' and Starbucks, and but there's well, I'm like all for that. I mean, I know you're a Dunkin' guy because you're from yeah. Worcester, Mass, but the home of Dunkin', <laughs> well, the home is Quincy, Massachusetts. Well, Massachusetts but... in general, I feel yeah. like. If you know what, is there even Starbucks in Massachusetts? Yeah, there's just not as many. I think <laughs> they're not they're not everywhere. <laughs> like they are at least in the not Midwest in Worcester or the rest of the country. Maybe but in Boston, they're all over. But may well Boston's a big city though. <laughs> Anywhere there's more wealth than Worcester, they're probably everywhere for sure. But anyway, so I've been work. We've been working on Richard and I have been working on that show. My best friend Richard is going to be the, my co-host for that show. Okay. But anyways. What breed are we getting into today? Because you listeners came here to listen about dogs. <laughs> the Australian Shepherd. Ooh, Australian Shepherd. That was terrible. Australia, mate. Which actually, I can do an Australian accent quite well. Crikey, look at this dog. It's a beauty. See, the only way I can get into an Australian accent is if, if I say Colin Minogue, because Colin Minogue <laughs> is the easiest thing to get me in there, and then I can do it. Like, well, I don't know about that. Our six Australian listeners, we just lost <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know Jim Jeffries, the Australian podcast. He does. I don't know about that. I just think of Kevin from the office. <laughs> Can I be Australian, mate? <laughs> sure, why not? Dingo babies. But so, speaking of dingoes, so the Australian Shepherd. <laughs> the Australian Shepherd. Before we get into the history and why it's not really but kind of sort of maybe australian we're just going to talk general info that you know do uh, any owner might want to know or just i don't know information about the dog if you know nothing about it and this is mostly from uh australian shepherd smart owner's guide from the kennel club book interactive series 
Love it. It's kind of your run-of-the-mill Barnes & Noble, what about this breed book. Yeah. But they're oh, yeah. great resources. Endorsed and supported by Dog Fancy, which was a dog magazine. Like, I think merged with Dogster. Oh, I remember Dog Fancy. I used, to, I used to get their calendars. Ah. Like their daily tearaway ones. It's the size. Australian Shepherd, 18 to 23 inches and 40 to 65 pounds. Pretty solid medium size. Okay, that's a range. I oh, yeah. Uh, females are actually notably smaller than males. Interesting. Okay. A few inches, like 10, 20 pounds. And the lifespan, 11 to 13 years. That average, I think. Yeah. I, yeah, I would say that's pretty... I'd say anything over 10 verges into average. Because mm. I feel like under 10 is too short. All and right. Above 10, it's what you'd expect. Yeah. They're balanced, medium in size, muscular, and lithe. Tail is naturally bobbed or docked. What was lithe? Is that L-Y-T-H-E? L-I-T-H-E. What does that mean? I'm not sure I, I know that like, word. it's um, like similar to muscular, like athletic, kind of. Uh, easily bent or flexed. Uh, characterized by easy flexibility and grace. That's Miriam. Okay. Miriam. Yeah, grace is in Miriam Webster. That's the dictionary for you. So gracefulness, sir. I like that. I do love a graceful dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... They're much nicer to watch than the ungraceful dogs. Derpy dogs. I like the derpy dog. Uh, The Aussie has a medium length double coat that is shorter on the head, ears, front of forelegs, and below the hocks, with feathering on the back of the forelegs and between the tail and hocks. Okay. So it's shorter in some places, feathering others. Very flowy coat. Yeah, feathering just means kind of like very light fluff, I feel like. It's like just a teeny bit of growth to like accentuate the texture of the fur. Okay. Because... I just think feathering of like human hair, like the 70s. Like Farrah Fawcett. Right, yeah. I just Then I just imagined Afghan hounds. (laughs) Yeah, sort of. (laughs) Well, sort of, but yeah, like a shorter version of that. Yeah, it's very... They're just kind of floofy. Yes, and they come in a variety of colors, which I have pictures or a few of them. Ooh, Colors they come in are red merle, blue merle, black, and red, all with or without white and or tan markings. That's a lot of variety. It's four different colors and two extra colors that all four colors can have with or without. Okay. So I'm going to break this down for (laughs) y'all. So the red merle is gorgeous. Like it's got this like cream almost like cream feathering on the chest and then it's got spots of just well they can have white they can have white anywhere or they can just not have white at all white or tan is optional on all colors got it so it's very flexible in other words kind of color see i like breeds like that but yeah no the red in their red merle is really pretty it's very speckled red and almost looks kind of you know groovy to be honest yeah the red sort of bring the color of like a Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever, a little mm-hmm. like orangish. The blue merle I like, it's just kind of got shocks of color everywhere. It looks like a little bit of red, black. You know, the blue is the eyes. Well, the tan and white's always optional. So some mm-hmm. blue merles are just all the like gray with white underneath. All <laughs> black with, ooh, I do like the white paws. Yeah, the white paws. <laughs> <laughs> that is nice. That's a nice feature. And a little <laughs> bit of white right under the chin, too. Oh, yeah. But the eyes are terrifying. That would scare the shit out of me in the middle of the night. A lot of Australian Shepherds have some terrifying eyes. Wait, there's one in this book. <laughs> Great breed, terrifying eyes. Only some of them. 
The eyes can get so bright sometimes. See that though? That is okay. That's gotta be photoshopped though. Come on. What about the Australian Shepherd I'm walking? I mean, that's that's poor that lighting in that picture right now. But the Australian Shepherd you're walking, you can still beautiful see beautiful blue eyes. Yes, but that's <laughs> but the thing. Sometimes they stare so deeply. <laughs> they're not like you're, they're not like ghostly blue like in that picture, or just washed right. out white like in this photo. <laughs> Gorgeous coloring, though. I would probably want it here. There's another here. There's another one here that almost has the kind of tux pattern to it. A oh, little yeah. Bit. Like the uh, St. John's water dog. Oh, that one's pretty, too. I'm just on Google Images. <laughs> yeah, they get. Yeah, they look very different. The different colors and different patterns. It really does have. change almost like their facial features in a way too. like just how they. Yeah, like you're saying just how generally how they look as a breed. Yeah. Um, the last one then is the tricolor. Yeah, looking like. Does that have a docked tail, or is it just? Uh, they're all tails are docked or. Um, oh, you did say short. that, didn't you? Yeah. Interesting. That looks almost like a Shiba a little bit in the face, or like just a Spitz type. It's naturally bobbed or docked. Naturally bobbed or docked. The tricolor is very regal looking. Yeah, very I always pretty. love tricolors. I do too. <laughs> Mostly, well, I, I come from Beagle Land. Yeah, <laughs> Zelda's. Yeah, our yeah, our Zelda, my tricolor our, Pomeranian Wilson and Sydney and Brandy, my tricolor <laughs> beagles. We never got other colored beagles. Like we always managed to get tricolor. Well, they're the most common, right? Well, yeah, but we almost bought Sydney's ugly sister. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> story time. I'm so sorry. This is gonna be if I if I'm I will cut it if it's too long. <laughs> it's okay. But when we got uh when we got Sydney, my dad liked her sister, who was this just ugh, like just some people would say so ugly it's cute. I would say no, it was just ugly. <laughs> but it was a it was a, a a black and tan beagle or like a black and brown beagle, mm. no white at all. Okay. And I, I remember I I we got time. Sydney because she had a little, a teeny little horizontal white stripe at the base of her tail. Right. And then um, she had a white line that went right up her nose, like, you know, like up to the dome, like beagles tend to have. And she had really pretty coloring. Wilson was tricolor, or Wilson is tricolor. His coat used to be a lot prettier. Now he's just old. But anyways, <laughs> no, okay. these are great colors. I definitely think the red Merle is my favorite. Mm, yeah. I like the blue Merle. It's cool. They're all cool. I mean, they're all very stunning is kind of the adjective I would lean on. Yeah, definitely. Really great coats. Uh, Aussies are known for being smart, trainable, affectionate with family, and aloof with strangers. Good with kids when raised with them. Generally fine with dogs of the opposite sex, but can be jealous about sharing the owner's attentions. Mm. Usually respects cats when raised with them but is risky around small pets like hamsters and guinea pigs. Well, I'm not sure what the yeah, risk is. Just the killing them, like, like trying to herd them, eat be them. too aggressive. No, my I guess would be, would be eradicate them. Hmm. Just like because, dogs? I mean, think if they're, well, a they're, they're herding dogs though. Yeah. But wouldn't that, I feel like herding dogs also kill. They're also kind of ratters at the same time. Know. Are they not? No, no, that didn't come up in the research. Just, but maybe. I mean, either way, it could also mean, I don't know. I would fear they would just attack them. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's a risk with any dog, I guess. It's like, but, it's, you know. But you keep you them in cages. The Aussies have high energy levels and need daily mental and physical activity. They can be adaptable to some different living spaces, 
but are best kept in a home with a large fenced-in yard. All training must be done with motivational methods that engage the dog's active mind. Finally, just the grooming, twice-weekly brushing, daily brushing while they're shedding, and bathing as needed. Nice. I like that. So there's no need for, like, um, major trips to a groomer for this breed, you'd say? Uh, I guess not. No, there's didn't... Uh... So they need Did to be it trimmed any... at all. There's a lot of shedding involved and double sure. coat. So. See, and I feel like it might dog... maintain itself. But... I feel like dog fur can be kind of magical in a way that you don't need to have them groomed. But then the pay... the the thing, the deal is there's lots and lots of shedding. Should you take Australian Shepherd to a groomer? There isn't really much trimming needed. Got it. Well, you can take them to a groomer. You know, so... they'll probably bathe them better than you yeah, can. Yeah, well, I mean, you could always take your dog to a groomer if you really want to. Get but, <laughs> you know, they'll take your money. Well, I mean, for I good mean, no, reason. But, <laughs> no, bathing your dog could be tough at home. That's for a lot true. Of reasons. Well, especially with breeds like, you know, Great Danes well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the giant ones. No, I always like I always would rather take a dog to get groomed by a professional because I feel like their products are just of a much higher quality. Especially like, the drying aspect. I think groomers. Oh, they put them in a little like buffer dryer where they just yeah. kind of get fluffed close to laying your dog in towels for hours which is what we always do with see zelda. that's why we never we just got hold her like a baby towels. oh poor zelda so, so wet for she hours. probably look like a wet rat uh, switch the towels <laughs> no see we never got a long-haired dog for that reason because they're too hard to dry and my yeah. mom be like i don't want to spend an afternoon blow drying my dog or Zelda's spend... probably just terrified of the blow dryer no well when it's a big it. loud <laughs> thing yeah. like you know I don't remember ever trying it but it's akin to a vacuum have. probably on the decibel level for a dog so yeah. of course that's terrifying <laughs> but bigger than her so. but yeah no i anyways i'm not trying to disparage groomers and I, I never am when i am I'm like what about taking them i always ask that in an episode but i think it's just be, it is it's a cost effectiveness well yeah question. definitely all right now we're gonna take a break and hear an ad for an arcadia podcast podcast When you wake up in the morning and get ready for the day, what's the one thing you're sure you won't miss? Well, according to the National Coffee Association, if you're like 64% of all Americans, you're probably going to have a cup of coffee. Hi, my name is Richard Eisloffel, and I love coffee. I've been drinking it consistently since I was about 15 years old and have worked off and on as a barista for over four years. Though I haven't worked in the coffee field for some time now, I've recently took an interest in knowing more about coffee. Its origins, its history, its chemical makeup, how we get different flavor profiles, and its current cultural status. To do this, I turned to my best friend of over 10 years, Wesley Van Hoosen. Hello there, I'm Wesley. He is probably the most well-read person I know. Books have always been a part of his life, and I know that, like myself, he has a thirst for knowledge. So I asked him one day, Wesley, do you know any good books on coffee? To which he responded, No, actually, none that I've ever found. And I have to say, that took me by surprise. You would think out there, somewhere, is a manuscript detailing everything you need to know about coffee, from how it's made to how it made its way into the fabric of our society. But no, there really isn't. So that's when Wesley and I decided to do it ourselves. 
Welcome to Coffee's On, where every episode we'll learn something new about the marvelous beverage that is coffee. In this popcorn-style series, we'll use every episode to do a deep dive into some facet of coffee consumption or production. And with every episode, we'll be trying a new brew of coffee, so we can continue to open our palates as well as our minds. In addition, we'll close each episode with a fun fact, myth, or legend about this magical drink. So tune in during your morning routine, daily commute, or afternoon pick-me-up, and we'll tell you all there is to know about the most consumed beverage in America. You can listen to Coffee's On on Spotify or wherever you stream podcasts. From the Arcadia Podcast Network. All right. Sounds interesting. Definitely. Go check that out after this. The Australian Shepherd descends from herding dogs of the Basque region. Basque country straddles the border of Spain and France on the coast of the Bay of Biscay on the western end of the Pyrenees Mountains. It is also where I want us to go for our honeymoon. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought you'd mentioned the Basque region before, and I realized I knew nothing about it until it came up in this research. It, it was is a lot more interesting so than I realized. Gorgeous. It's like breathtaking gorgeous, and the food culture there is amazing. The food culture came up a lot in the research. Oh, my God. Ago. Yeah, I was going to say, this is my suggestion for where we go on our honeymoon. Whenever we get yeah. married. We're not engaged, listeners. We're not actually engaged, Dylan. <laughs> 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 Well, I didn't break the lead in my pencil. Wesley has walked off the podcast. (laughs) I'm still here. No, no. But anyway, no, it is a gorgeous place. Yeah, Yeah, that's not great. The Basque people are one of the oldest ethnic groups in Europe uh, with one of the oldest European languages. The Basque language is still spoken by about 30 percent of the population, which is estimated to be about three million, mostly living in Spain. It is one of the last kind of like charter languages of that region that i think there is an attempt now to keep it going because it still has a quite a big number but i've heard that it's endangered now right yeah so yeah it's probably less and less people speaking it yeah and that you know i feel like too it's such a it's such a dedicated region of where you speak it like it's not like Spanish, where it has different dialects, it Actually, is like a there language. are different dialects. Oh, really? Yeah. There are. I yeah. didn't know that. I thought it was just one dialect. Yeah, some different dialects, apparently. Well, then I am dead wrong. But either way, it's still kind of only like geographically, it is like only spoken in the Basque region, right? Uh, well, there's a lot of Basque people around the world, and I'm not sure how much hmm. it's spoken around there. But interesting, maybe not much. That's I don't know. See, I'd love I, to read about know. this maybe. to see like. Because I, I, I'm always a linguistics nerd. Continue. <laughs> so today there are Basque communities all around the world, especially in North and South America. The people of Basque descent make up about 10% of the population of Argentina, and more than 5% the population of Boise, Idaho. Interesting. Don't all over the world, me, Boise, especially Idaho. Americas. Boise has a Basque museum and cultural center. And a Basque festival. Nice. We'll have to go to Boise. Yeah, that and Boise for our honeymoon. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> or Argentina. First, you may, we wait till I'm 30 to get married. <laughs> Boise's number one destination for 30-year-olds. We heard. go to the potato capital of the world, <laughs> besides Ireland. Yeah, I love potatoes. 
The Basque people have a very long history of world-class shepherding. Sorry, that was really funny. I love potatoes. No, you don't. <laughs> I love a lot of potato products. It's not mashed. Yeah. So the Basque people have a very long history of world-class shepherding. Of course, this history is linked with dogs. And the herding dog of choice was the Pyrenean Shepherd. Okay. An, an ancestor to the modern Australian Shepherd. Just a slightly smaller version. I have a photo. A little hairier and... Ooh, they look like little poot, like little lap dogs. Yeah, they're like uh, sort of terrier heads on shepherd bodies. Yeah, they definitely look more like terriers than they do shepherds. So the Pyrenean Shepherd or Pyrenean Sheepdog is descended from ancient breeds of herding dogs that have worked with shepherds in the Pyrenees Mountains for centuries. They are still used today, often along with the larger Pyrenean Mountain Dogs, also known as the Great Pyrenees. Oh, nice. I love the Great Pyrenees. They're so cute. They are very cute. <laughs> Another breed with a very long history herding in that region and that's gained popularity as a house dog in the U.S. The Great Pyrenees. Yeah. Right. The Pyrenean Shepherd is recognized by the AKC, but is 181st out of 197. Wow, that's a, that's a low rank. What is the least gotten breed? I've looked at it a few times. I feel like it shifts every now and again. Yeah, probably some very obscure ones. Well, I feel like the numbers are just so minimal at that level. It's like even the slightest shift can put you <laughs> at last or not last. I don't know. It's probably at least a few hundred. Good. I guess. Well, I'll have to know. look after this. Now I'm curious. <laughs> the most interesting thing about the Pyrenean Shepherd is their life expectancy. The AKC says they live to their late teens. Okay. Which would put them up with the Chihuahua as the longest living breed. Yes. Although I couldn't find any list that actually included the Pyrenean Shepherd on like longest breeds. Maybe it's just too obscure. Yeah, I feel like there's not enough of them for anyone if they're 181st. Yeah, but late teens. And a lot of it is credited to like how ancient of a breed they are. I mean, hey, that's definitely... Similar to Shiba Inus. Yeah, and you know... um, um. Shih Tzus have a pretty decent lifespan to themselves, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the Asian. I mean, any dog, I feel like, that comes from just a long, long, long line of the same dog, you know, their their breed is pretty pretty solid at that point, just by sake of natural selection. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Chihuahuas, it makes sense, I guess, just because they've been around forever. Yeah, they're pretty unique, like, genetically. And as we learn more about the Aztec, the Olmec, all the, all of the societies that were there, it's very possible that they had breeding, like dog breeding, and they yeah. were an advanced enough civilization. Why wouldn't they? You yeah. know. But anyways, I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> so Basque people brought their great shepherding skills around the world, and their little dogs too. You need to stop pausing so much. Yeah, I know. I missed that. <laughs> That was really cute, though, because I saw you see your joke right after you said it. (laughs) Let me restart that. That's fine. Basque people brought their great shepherding skills around the world, and their little dogs, too. Anywhere with large amounts of land with potential for keeping livestock, they went. Here's where Australia comes in. In the early 19th century, Europeans in Australia began settling more inland on the continent, in search of rich pasture land. This isn't very well documented, 
but for the sake of including Australia, the story goes that some Basque people heard about the potential of this unknown land of Australia. Being in search of rich pasture themselves, uh, they made a trip to Australia and met with some of the mostly British European settlers. While in Australia, the Pyrenean sheepdogs they brought were bred with the British herding dogs, like the Collie and the Border Collie. Mm-mm. I don't know much about the geography of Australia, but I do know that if you head inland and search for rich pastures, you're going to be disappointed. That's not what you're going to find. It's just a big desert in the middle, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Mostly. Yeah, the outback nice coast, is... But... I'm sure there's, there's moments of, like, oases or, you know, yeah. like pasture but for the most part it's a pretty desolate area too like yeah so the story goes that the basque people uh spent a few dog generations breeding their perinian shepherds with the collies and then they all left to california and the- <laughs> we're going to hollywood <laughs> <Dun>, da. <dun, dun. laughs> and that's where the breed was dubbed the australian shepherd well of course because they don't want it to be the american shepherd <laughs> Why not? Because any Brit worth their salt will not let Americans take a, br- a dog breed away from them. Well, it wasn't the British, though. It was the Basques. Oh, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, they brought the, the dogs back. I thought, oh, I suppose. Well, either way, I, maybe they needed, like, well, maybe they were hard to differentiate from Border Collies. Well, I think they were, um, well, I don't know. The history of Australian Shepherds kind of murky. And, like, this sure. is sort of controversial. Because especially back in, like, the Old West and early 19th century when these came to America shepherds and working dogs were known generally by like the country they were from plus the job they did so any shepherd from australia regardless of like lineage that wasn't thought of at all was an australian shepherd interesting okay and then it was just over time that it became this breed Mm. and this story is attached with it and you know thought generally to be part of the breed history yeah and i mean to be fair dylan and i when we research we we read everything we can get and find and honest to god some of these breed histories make no sense yeah, sometimes some, some breed histories just skip the basque stuff and completely yeah you and know start in america because his, that's where you know is more official breeding it's unfortunate practices. that history is in the eye of the person who has the pen but that really kind of depends sometimes and you know there are breeds that are extremely popular that have practically like no info until the industrialization era, you know, so like I so for those of you who are kind of like, you know, I don't know, I feel like it is we just kind of have to say it is very much the case where a lot of these dog breeds, people just liked them. And it wasn't until they'd already done everything to make the breed what it is before they started writing it all down or even starting to like, oh, we should probably keep a record of this breed or we should probably have a club or Oh, yeah. With working dogs, it's tough, too. True. There's always controversy with trying to make it too official. (laughs) Well, and I wonder, too, if the Basque region kind of sat along with the, you know, the Dutch, where they're like, we don't need dog shows. We don't need to write standards. We just have these dogs that do this job, and we that's how we keep them. With the the casent is what I'm referring to. But either way, it's, yeah, I think it's... I wish we had the time machine sometimes to see just exactly what was being done, you know? Yeah. Anyways, continue. <laughs> <laughs> so California ranchers were extremely impressed with the herding ability of these dogs. 
Herding dogs in that area were selected for their ability to work in the heat, which is something Aussies are still known for today. They can actually handle hot and cold weather pretty well. So they're like the reverse pug. Pug yeah. can't handle hot or cold. Aussies, hot and cold. <laughs> they're like the Katy Perry song. <laughs> I've been waiting for ages to make that joke for some reason. <laughs> I think you've made, you've made it plenty of times, too. Though. <laughs> Our listeners are getting to see too much into our relationship on this episode today. (laughs) The Australian Shepherd started to become a well-known breed during the Gold Rush, a period in the mid-1800s when hundreds of thousands of people flocked to California in search of gold, blowing up the population in just a few years. This sudden influx of people created a rise in demand for livestock, which created a rise in demand for Aussies. From there... From there, the breed began spreading across the American West, known for being highly intelligent, agile, and versatile working dogs. In the 1950s, Jay Sisler and his Aussies would change the breed forever. Dun, dun, dun. While recovering from an ankle injury, Jay Sisler decided to pass the time by training a litter of Aussies that had been born on his family farm. The training was a massive success. And Jay soon had these pups doing tricks that amaze people to this day. Got a video. So is this video taken from the 1950s? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. This is on YouTube, by the way. I'll post the link down in the episode blurb. I think I've seen this footage before. So they're like... (laughs) (laughs) Three dogs jump roping with him together at the same time. Walking on their hind legs, doing spins on their hind legs. Shorty, stubby, and queenie. Oh, wow. Standing on a pole while he lifts them. And that was just amazing to me. That's insane. Just the amount of like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Balance. Balance, yeah. I mean, they're balancing on a pole as he's lifting it. That's crazy. It's Y'all, weird. if you haven't seen that video you should watch it it's in i'll put the link in the description jay sisler took his aussies on the road and became a popular rodeo act of the 50s and 60s they were even featured in a couple disney films run appaloosa run and stub the best cow dog in the west stub shorty and queenie were stars of a television show called stub and they were probably the most influential aussies of all time Interesting. And this was all kind of in the 1950s that this happened. Oh, yeah. 50s, 60s. Early 60s. Maybe all through. I don't know. (laughs) Hmm. I guess the dogs were from the 50s. So, I mean, he he had different dogs over time, but Stubby Shorty, Stub Shorty and Queenie, I think were 50s. So it's safe to say that this breed experienced its like 15 minutes of fame in the 50s and 60s. Kind of kept going, though. Yeah. But, like, was that when it was um, introduced to America kind of for the first time, maybe on, like, a that that level? Like, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, the Gold Rush popularized it as a working dog. And then Jay Sisler and, you know, Stub, Shorty, and Queenie popularized it more as a family dog. Sure. And I'm sure with the advent of television, that yeah. was just a sure deal. Yeah. You know, yeah. So Stub, Shorty, and Queenie could jump rope, walk forwards and backwards spin tumble balance and learn all sorts of different acts they could shake rattle and roll (laughs) bop it spin it (laughs) twist it 
they were also they were also real working dogs that knew how to herd and spent a lot of time back on the ranch in idaho so and and they were breeding dogs shorty sired an aussie named woods jay who became an influential early sire so these dogs be closely related to a lot of aussies today these dogs were triple threats. <laughs> yeah, and Stub Shorty and Queenie, they were all... Uh, <laughs> Actor, singer, dancer, magician. They're all from one uh, breed. They're no, not, not uh, one litter. <laughs> right. Yeah, so they were brother, sister. Wow. They're like the Jackson family of <laughs> Australian shepherds. Exactly. But after the rodeo show and TV show and movies, a lot of people wanted Aussies of their own. Uh, they were no longer just a working dog. They were now a companion dog, but one most known... For exceptional exceptional trainability. Eldon McIntyre's dog, Hyper Hank, continued the tradition of famous stunt Aussies. Hyper Hank was a frisbee catching dog. He performed at a number of high profile events in the 1970s, including Super Bowl XII and on the lawn of the White House for President Jimmy Carter. Ah, uh, Jimmy! <laughs> That's one impressive dog. <laughs> most boring president no that's not true that's who's the most boring president the most boring and like i don't know the guy who died living history william henry harrison on living history well then i guess that'd be jimmy carter i would suppose he's a peanut farmer (laughs) who's uh, (laughs) right well isn't that jimmy carter yeah 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 (laughs) i just feel like we shouldn't judge our presidents based on how exciting they are not anymore that's a really (laughs) bad idea not after the last four years (laughs) no so, I mean, Biden could give him a run for his money. We'll see. <laughs> so, McIntyre, uh, McIntyre, the owner of Hyper Hank, he helped found the Frisbee Dog World Championship, where Hyper Hank competed, although he always lost to another founder's dog, Ashley Whippet. Was that a Whippet? Was a Whippet. Ah, very aptly named then. <laughs> That'd be weird if it was not a Whippet. Yeah, and the <laughs> competition's also the Ashley Whippet Invitational, I think. <laughs> I want to be invited to that so badly. I just wish it could be the Hyper Hank in- Invitational. But the Ashley Whippet sounds so much more like uppity. It sounds like a Sweet 16 party you're invited to. <laughs> you're invited to Ashley Whippet's Invitational. <laughs> I would be best friends with a girl named Ashley Whippet. <laughs> just do Whippets with her in the supermarket all day. But for a while, I was friends with Nene. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> the the ASCA, the Australian Shepherd Club of America, formed in 1957, uh, was established to preserve the Aussie as a working herding dog. Over the coming decades, interest in herding and access to livestock dwindled in the U.S., and it became clear that this dog's energy could and should be put to something else. Mm. In the 70s, the ASCA began hosting competitions for obedience, confirmation, tracking, and stock dog work, which I think is like herding. Sure. In the 80s, controversy rose as some members wanted wanted recognition from the AKC. Oh, they still haven't been recognized by the AKC yet. No, no, just the ASCA. Is this kind of the same issue as border collies where they're like, look, we don't we aren't into what you do. It seems like it maybe not as strongly as Border Collie people, but that might That's just been the source I found. Well, I wonder if that was maybe a general feeling amongst just 
you know, herding dogs. Oh, yeah. I think working dogs in general, too. Interesting. I would have never thought of that. Because critics argued that it would turn the Aussie into a show dog, so they didn't want the AKC recognition. Yeah. But supporters argued it would be up to breeders to decide what the dogs became, not the AKC. And, you know, that ultimately... I'm not sure what you know they thought would benefit, but it was just further recognition. Well, I guess it's interesting to me because I regard the AKC as like a history keeper in yeah. a way. You know, regardless of what people think, the organization should still recognize it because it is a standardized sort of dog breed. So right. I guess to me, it's just so weird that they weren't... I th- I went this whole time thinking they had been accepted like as soon as they were imported to california ah, yeah but interesting yeah, i don't know I mean, they, they were really just like a ranching dog in the west a ver- like a very popular one but that right. was for like a hundred years well and akc is all based in the east too right, so yeah. that makes sense that maybe they weren't aware of the breed for a while before even before it did get onto television yeah so uh, in the end uh, the breed was recognized in 1991 and today ranks 17th in popularity. 1991. Mm, so it was 30 years ago, and now it's 17. What a year. Emotions by Mariah Carey came out. <laughs> oh, that's why you're <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of other things. Wow. My parents got married in 1991. Wow. Um, S- oldest sister was born. I don't know much else that happened. In the, I wasn't born yet, so I don't know. But either way, that's interesting. And what what was their ranking again? I'm sorry. Oh, 17th. Today. Wow. So they're pretty popular. Yeah. Definitely. You know, I, I've walked several Australian Shepherds. I feel like I, I have never really been super familiar with the breed. And I probably have. I may have even seen them and just mistook them as border collies. Mm. Because I didn't really. Well, if they're black and white, I guess you could. It well, you it. yeah, but you don't understand. The merle, I come, the merle ones look pretty distinct. I come from a hound family. We we think all dogs that look like this are border collies, just okay. like automatically. <laughs> like we never even think there's other sh- herding breeds. Well, maybe now you can automatically think they're Australian shepherds. I'd hope they have so. A wide variety of co-host a show about specific dog breeds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's. I mean, I'm I'm glad though that they've had a they have a foothold and that they're. It sounds like, you know, there is still an effort to keep them trained with what they're historically bred to do. Yeah. It's also difficult, though, uh, as they've become more popular family dog. You got to remember, they're not right for every family. Sure. Sure. (laughs) A big part of this book is talking about, you know, how it's not for everyone. You got to be constantly active. It's very similar to the Border Collie. I think that's true of a lot of breeds, though. There is that measure of how right is this breed for my family's situation yeah because yeah it's difficult because every dog needs exercise and but but some dogs just need even more you know is that (laughs) a pug who needs 60 minutes of exercise (laughs) or an australian shepherd who needs what did you say like two three hours i don't think a pug would even need 60 but (laughs) oh oh that's a bulldog sorry bulldogs need 60 i think pugs need to be walked though at least for 60 minutes a day a day for a whole day one hour yeah i don't know maybe not some pugs i've (laughs) I've known (laughs) they seem pretty done after a few minutes (laughs) well (laughs) that's because the pug you walk is like a (laughs) hundred but anyways yeah no i i like that I like this breed a lot in the history. I think they're really interesting and 
it's unfortunate there's not a whole lot about like the namesake country but you know yeah. it's still interesting Weird, but cool yeah Weird but cool. What else do we? My have? final note. That's all I have. Weird, were they weird but cool? They're weird but cool. <laughs> I like it. Oh, they're great dogs. I would definitely consider this dog, you know, for us when we're still young and if you get a big backyard. Well, I like wa- I like that. want an acreage. So well, then, yeah, I really want to have a farm. Get Not a sheep. whole farm, but no, I don't want sheep. I don't want an, I don't want animals. Don't work. I just want a lot of land <laughs> or like a big chunk so I can have an orchard. And a lot of land. Have a, have a garden. An orchard. Garden. I've always wanted an orchard. Can you tend them? Yeah. <laughs> How hard could it be to tend an orchard? There's yourself? trees. <laughs> like, I mean, they have to grow for a while, but they're well, yeah, trees. Yeah, it's a lot of end. work for a few weeks at least. Have people come, have friends and family come and pick apples. <laughs> now they're friends and family. Okay. You know, have a community come and pick apples and pay what, what you. What kind of community? The community we Wait, live oh, in. Oh, we, <laughs> so, so you're going to be a tourist one. You're not going to hire, like, unlicensed immigrant workers to pick your stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I mean. I'm just making sure it doesn't go there. A todos los mexicanos, chicanos, todos que. I mean, it's fine as long as you do pay. I'm telling wage. them I will hire them, but it's in Spanish. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm going to cut all that. Go ahead, hire them, but minimum wage. No, I think it'd be really cool to have a farm and, you know, lots of different dogs and, well, maybe not lots, three. And, you know, have that's my max. On a farm, maybe five would be my max amount of dogs if I owned a farm, if we owned a farm. Right. But I think it'd be cool if there was a small community of people. It's like, hey, come pick apples, come pick whatever you want. And that's part of it, you know, is spreading the food and being a community. That's just how I feel. But So they would pay you for the opportunity to come back? I mean, they would pay me for it. But, but that sounds less giving. But it'd be cheap. You know, <laughs> it would be cheaper than going to the grocery store. And it's better because it's been grown on someone's land. And that's the thing. It's You're been just trying to become Ina Garten, tended to. You? No, I'm trying to become a hybridized version of her and like... I don't know. I just want to grow a lot of stuff and cook a lot of different food and have lots of dogs. She doesn't have dogs. So <laughs> we are already different. Oh, okay. We'll move in next door. Be like, but, We're the ones with dogs. <laughs> no, she doesn't dislike them. She just doesn't have dogs them. running over, eating all her herbs. But no, I definitely like this breed a lot. It's almost a little more attractive to me than border collies. Just as far as the like, I feel like they're not as intense on the work like they're working dogs but they're not like i don't know yeah they have a similar personality though intelligence that's true i don't know maybe i'm just i've just never really interacted with one so well, let's see where they are in stanley corin's dog intelligence list oh it's 42 okay well well i'm confused on this list but okay <laughs> what yummypets.com says but it's tied with kuvas what does that even mean yummy reason. pets I guess they're eating their pets. It's not That's okay, not guys. Good. Don't support that website. It's not cool. It's like the weirdest name for a website. <laughs> yummy pets. It's like mm, yummypoison.com. <laughs> AI named the website. Yeah, like, right. What are the people going to Website on? generator name buys it for no money because that makes no sense. Uh, well, uh, if that's all, why don't you take us out for this week? All right. Remember, help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed or neutered. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thanks. 
Wesley Van Hoosen and Dylan Naylor are not pet professionals. Any advice regarding pet ownership and the responsibilities thereof taken from this program should be checked with your veterinarian. All episodes are researched thoroughly, fact-checked, and additionally researched during post-production. Annotated bibliographies of every episode can be found at we'regettingadog.com slash bibliographies. This podcast is hosted by Dylan Naylor and Wesley Van Hoosen. If you'd like to reach out or submit a photo of your dog to be featured on our social media, please contact us at WGAD at ArcadiaPodcastNetwork.com or on our Instagram at We're Getting a Dog. Thank you for listening to We're Getting a Dog from the Arcadia Podcast Network. If you'd like to support our podcast, please go to patreon.com slash we're getting a dog. We have different tiers with different benefits set up, and we hope that you will support us so that we can grow and continue to make quality content. Hi there, I'm Wesley Van Hoosen, and I make good food. I also have bad friends, but bad in a good way. On Good Food for Bad Friends, I'll have a different guest on each episode to learn all about their history with food. We'll talk about anything from the foods of their childhood to the deep-rooted culinary traditions that they've incorporated into their everyday lives. Along with each episode, one or two recipes will be released to you through our website. These recipes are researched, adapted, and tested by me, and they're inspired by the conversations I have with each guest. I hope you subscribe and tune in as I talk with all the different people in my life about their experiences with food. Available everywhere from the Arcadia Podcast Network.